Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the President and CEO of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice, in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Hi, Bill. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. I'm on my way later today to go to the American Society of Microbiology micro meeting, our big microbiology meeting where all of our microbiology clinical nerds get together to talk about uh, all sorts of microbes, parasites, bacteria. It'll be exciting. Wow. Sounds like Parasite Gal will be busy on social media. I will. But today, I figured we could talk about something completely different than microbiology. That's getting back to the role that you're playing in your new role and learning a little bit more about one of the other aspects that you've been working on, which is really remote monitoring, really increasing our diagnostic acumen and how we can serve patients around the world. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, about your role and about this aspect? Yeah, because, you know, it's probably not clear to everybody, even within Mayo, even and outside of Mayo, about why my title and role changed and, and the why behind that. For the entirety of my time when I was doing the job that you're now doing, where I was the department chair, the department chair of laboratory medicine and pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester was also the head of Mayo Clinic Laboratories because their Mayo Clinic Laboratories brings out to market to outside patients and providers the tests that we have within DLMP. The reality, though, is that we have a lot of really excellent diagnostic tests within the institution that we want to bring out to patients. And so a good example of that is in cardiovascular medicine, we have innovators like Dr. Noseworthy and Dr. Friedman that we're working with wearable devices, so what's called mobile Mm -hmm. cardiac outpatient telemetry, to get those signals in and actually apply artificial intelligence so they can see things in those tracings that we can't see with the naked eye around, you know, heart function and all these sorts of things. And so their desire, conversations I had with Dr. Friedman as a department chair colleague goes, hey, could we use that same Mayo collaborative services? So thinking bigger than Mayo Clinic Labs to make this something that's available to patients outside of Rochester. And so that's what we've been working on. That's now called CV remote monitoring. It's something Mm -hmm. that we're just really standing up, but it's really exciting because it is a diagnostic modality it has all the forward-looking elements that you and I have talked about with AI and scalability and patient access, but it's a totally different signal than someone putting a specimen into a tube and sending it to us here in Rochester. I think this is such an exciting area, and we know that people are interested in this. They want more control over their health care. We could probably, if we could pull the audience right now of people listening to us, how many people have a smartwatch on, it's probably a large percentage, and this really takes it one level up. So sure, your smart devices, your watches can monitor things like heart rate, oxygenation. They could even do rudimentary EKG, but taking it up to a medical grade level diagnostic that someone could wear and you could obtain real time data, especially for patients with complex disorders. I just think that that's really where we need to be as a society. It could really improve patient health throughout our communities. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. That's one of the reasons why we are very excited and I'm very excited to be working on this with cardiovascular medicine is because it is a forward looking way to think about how we're interacting with patients and, and diagnostics. And, you know, to your point, to really think about what are going to be some of the drivers of that change, right? Because the two things we know, if you look at 
pre-pandemic, the concern was healthcare spending in this country is trillions of dollars. And mm -hmm. the really the only way to start to bend that curve is to have patients only access care when they need it, right? So how do we do more when someone's not in a, in a hospital or a primary care setting to help them with their health? These are the sorts of technology you think about that now you can send someone home, they have the surety to know they have a device that a cardiologist is there and it's being continuously monitored. So if there's something that needs to happen, they know right away, or we need to make an insight. They don't have to stay in the hospital. It's better for them. It's better for the healthcare system. And post-pandemic, it's probably even more of a need because you look at how many of our hospitals are really stressed with trying to deal with the patient demand between people transitioning out of healthcare, post-pandemic, and patient demand. So it's a way really to be forward-looking. The other area where this will really, I think, play out as you've looked at what's happening with Alzheimer's disease and the desire of pharma companies to develop drugs that really influence the course of these diseases that take a long time to develop, but once they hit are really devastating, like Alzheimer's. The thought is if we have more early detection, and that could be through wearable devices, as a lot in the neurology space around movement disorders and other things, we could actually identify patients who could benefit from therapies. So it'll actually probably start to drive even kind of clinical trials, because if the need is to get patients enrolled. So there's all sorts of facets where mm -hmm. this could really be, you can see the drivers will be there for this to be part of our future in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. And all the benefits of being in a hospital in a, a highly monitored situation, but the risks that come with it as well. And I think the studies are really showing now that people, when it's appropriate, actually can even do better at home in the comfort of their own home, but yet with the appropriate monitoring that some of these wearables will allow, and perhaps with nurse visits and other types of support. So it's all part of a bigger picture. It's not just deployed in and of itself. That's right. And I think, again, as laboratorians, that's mm -hmm. why we want to be thinking about this. We have to just think more broadly about diagnostics. When you have these sorts of technologies that are out there, when you have places like Walmart and CVS and others that will be thinking about interacting with individuals around diagnostics, we have to start to think about, to use the hockey analogy, where the puck is going, right? Mm -hmm. Because it really boils down to the things that you and I have talked about that are the essence of our profession. And that is understanding how this information is generated and used to influence patient care. And I think the other piece of it is we'll see our patients expecting it from us because the other thing the studies have shown is there's real generational differences. People now that are younger than me, but they're probably in their 30s and even 40s are very comfortable. You know, when you talk about the Garmin watches, I mean, people are now growing up with these technologies. And mm -hmm. so the transition of using it from something like, am I training appropriately for my marathon to am I, do I need to take my medication or do I need to go see my doctor? It's going to be just a natural progression. And, and studies have already shown that there is a desire for younger generations to have this. It's their expectation that they'll have that convenience. So I think you raised a really important point there though, Bill, is that as laboratory leaders, pathologists, laboratory scientists, laboratory directors, we need to be at the table as part of this because it is coming. It's going to be what our patients expect. We need to be able to play a role in assessing the technology, understanding if it's going to be giving the right sorts of information. Some of these tests people could do in the comfort of their own home have serious limitations. Maybe they aren't as good. So we need to be there to help choose which tests are going to be used as a part of a patient's care. And then we need to make sure that the information is going into the medical record, maybe into the laboratory information system as well, in a way that can get back to the providers taking care of that patient. That's right. It all sounds great. It sounds very utopian. But as you were speaking, I was thinking about 
Think about how many public venues you, others you just talked about going to an ASM meeting, just explaining to the public the role of a screening test for COVID versus a diagnostic test and how that really, that the performance of that test and the role of an at-home test versus an in-lab test and what they could and couldn't do. Someone's going to have to explain all that because the reality mm-hmm. is many of the purveyors of these technologies just don't have that information and that knowledge. And the other thing is that you are an education leader at Mayo Clinic and nationally is also as, as educators. How do we start to think about these things? How do we train our laboratory professionals of, of the future to be ready for this? And I think having to think about that and, and thinking about those technologies and how we bring them into the education of our professionals becomes really important too. Yes, it has to be part of our training as, let's say, pathology residency, our various laboratory fellowships. We have to train our future laboratorians, laboratory leaders to be able to be comfortable communicating not just with colleagues, but potentially with the general public and even patients specifically. That's right. And being comfortable mm-hmm. with, uh, with interpreting information, some of which might be generated within their lab or at their microscope, and some which won't. won't. Yep. Well, it's exciting either way, and clearly we have to be a part of the picture. That's right. It is an exciting time to be in diagnostics and in laboratory medicine. And now my new role is to think about how to, to grow the partnership with Mayo Clinic to be more inclusive of, of other things. So it's, it's, it's really a lot of fun. Well, thanks for your leadership in this and exciting that we're doing this here at Mayo. Indeed. And thanks for another conversation. Absolutely. Well, until next time, Bill, have a great day. Safe, safe travel. See ya. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>